You're a successful business owner or entrepreneur. You love it, but it consumes your entire day and sometimes your entire night. This is the Seven Figure Builder Show. It's a backstage pass to the minds of those who've already cracked the code. Welcome to the Seven Figure Builder Show. And now your host, Julie Baranek. Hey, Seven Figure Builder family. This is Julie Baranek with the Seven Figure Builder Show. And I am here with my friend, Michael Mojo. Hey, Michael. Good morning. (laughs) Good good afternoon, I guess. (laughs) So, Michael, tell us, where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in Adelaide, South Australia, which is right down the bottom of Australia. Awesome. I love being on, I'd love to be closer, but I think it's so cool to connect with people on, you know, all around the world. So that's one of my favorite things. Yeah. But you are an incredible mindset, mental performance coach, right? You've connected with Australia's top rich listeners, industry leaders, athletes, business teams all around the world, which is amazing. And bridge the gap between advanced sciences, human behavior, personal development, and mental performance fields. You've been featured alongside so many people of Dr. Joe Dispenza, Dr. John Demartini, Dr. Dave Logan, Grant Cardone, Gary Vaynerchuk, and Barbara Kakorin from Shark Tank. And guided tens of thousands of people to change so they don't end up stressed out, burned out, tired, self-destructive, and living an unhealthy or unfulfilled lifestyle. So tell us a bit of what brought you to this point in your career. I know you've done a couple of different things, but tell us a bit about your journey. Yeah. So um, I, I guess as a kid, I wasn't really the smart one at school. I was put into something here in Australia called special classes um, where the not so bright kids, I thought I was special, but I was, but just not in a beneficial <laughs> <were> way <laughs> uh, to the school system. So um, yeah, I, I sort of struggled through school and um, I think I ended up where most people end up where they don't really know what they want to do. Um, I've always loved figuring out how things work. I used to watch a lot of documentaries as a kid. I was always inquisitive. And I actually became a diesel mechanic or someone who worked on mining equipment. Started doing that for a little while because I thought that the goal of life was to get a well-paying job so that you can buy a house with a white picket fence and have kids and get married and everything. And then what I realized was that there wasn't a direct correlation between your fulfillment in life and the amount of money that you weren't. Now, I thought that when you have a good job and you have a good career and you make all this money, then you're going to be happy. But what I found was that pretty much everyone that I worked with hated life. Um, Most of them would leave their families for two or three weeks at a time and head away to the mines. Then they would come back and they would be, you know, miserable. They would, they would get home and normally have relationship problems because they weren't at home with their kids and their their partner. And so the partner had all these expectations. And and so they were they were just those sort of people who just walk around and complain and mumble under their breath all the time about how crappy everything is. And I I started realizing that it was not a place that I wanted to be in, not a not a work environment that I wanted to be in. Um, and when I was depre- uh, when I was 15, I was expelled from school and I was going to end my own life. And so I just didn't want to go back to that dark place. So I decided to go and do the one thing that I enjoyed, and that was work in the fitness industry. Um, I always had issues with my weight, and I was a—I had bright red hair and freckles, and I was a chubby kid. And so, you know, the gym was the only place that made me feel good about myself. So I started working in a gym environment. Absolutely loved it. This was 20 years ago. Um, loved it. Walked away from a lucrative career and just did something I enjoyed. And everyone said I would never make money in that industry. This was before the influences and all that stuff now where you can actually make really good money in there. Um, 
and so yeah, I just started working in that industry, and then the next second, I'm running a gym, um, build a franchise system with another with another business owner, and then I went out and started speaking. And when I started speaking, I was like, wow, I can really influence people to do something great with their life. And it hadn't everything hadn't clicked yet. But eventually I got poached to go and work in a medical center and I started doing physical rehabilitation. I started, um, you, um, you know, helping people with their physical bodies. And, and after a while, I realized that I would teach people what to do and they wouldn't do it. And I kept thinking, why don't people do what they know to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and then just one day I realized that the same people were always back in the medical center with injuries or sickness, or they would have these reoccurring issues and they just always seemed to be, you know, needing healthcare. And it clicked to me and I went, wow, everyone knows what to do. They just don't do it. And I went, okay, that's a mindset problem. So I started working with a psychologist and asking questions. And, and then I just had this fascination about how our mind works. And, and I didn't realize that my love for life is actually figuring out how people work. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I branched into this industry that I work in now, I've been here for 13 years and just helping people perform at their best. That's, that's what I love is getting the best out of people. Um, eventually down the track, I, I was running seminars and events and I slowly noticed that at first it was a lot of people who were sort of down and out in life and just didn't really know where to go and what to do. And they just want to feel a little, little bit better. But then I noticed that business owners were starting to come through and then they they started like the, the events got more and more business owners. And I was thinking, what's going on here? Why do business owners want to come and learn how to feel good and get motivated and, and, and understand their mindset? And this, you know, we're talking 13 years ago. So it's not the, the whole mental health conversation isn't like it is now. Right. Um, and then I realized that business owners, business really is people. I mean, you've got AI and you've got technology these days, but the biggest problem that every business owner faces is normally people problems. It's normally staff or leadership or management or issues between managers, leaders, or getting their message out to other people, which then is marketing. You've got sales. So there's all of these human interactions that are happening in business. And I think the more you understand, the better your business can operate. I I guess that's where I'm at now. I love that. And I think, at least for myself, you know, so often when we hear mindset, we think about our own mindset. And I'm a huge fan of human psychology, which is what you do, right? And I poured into it myself just through the sales avenue, but you're right. It's every single aspect of how we connect with people and just understanding, you know, what makes them tick, what is going through their head and, you know, connecting on a human level. And um, what would you say, what would you say the biggest gaps that you found that, you know, are causing people to not do what they know they should do or, you know, within their business world? Yeah, I, I love that question. Actually, it's a really good question. Um, what I find is the majority of things are a misalignment. So um, the famous psychiatrist or psychoanalyst, um, Sigmund Freud, spoke about this, and, and he said that we were born um, with what he called the ego. Now, the ego is normally a misrepresented in this day and age. It's, it's confused with, with the original terminology of it. But the word ego means the true self. So that's who you really are, um, if you look at the etymology of the word. And if you go back and read, uh, I mean, you can even Google it and it'll come up and say the true self. Um, but the ego, he said, is who we really are. Then you have these things called impulses and instincts, which are essentially impulses and fears. So when humans are impulsive and we're run by our emotions, it, that's normally because fear drives it. So the more we have fear, the more impulsive we become. And so it creates this vicious cycle. Now, kids are very impulsive from a young age. 
So they don't really know who they are. They can't really control their impulses. It's a different part of the brain center that that is operating when when a child's young. And so children are very driven by fear or by things that are exciting and fun and, and make them feel good in the moment. That creates these vicious feedback loops for the child. And so therefore, a parental figure has to come along and say, you can't eat sugar as much as you want. You have to go to school. You need to do these things. Because if not, the child's just too impulsive and too fear-driven that it, that it, it, it will you know, hurt itself. So what he spoke about is that these authority figures come in and they implant their values onto the child. Now, the problem with adults is that we were children once who have these implanted values. So now we start living life with all of these voices inside of our heads that say what we should do, what we shouldn't do, that we're going to be judged, we're going to be criticized. And so it's really hard for most adults to make effective decisions for themselves because it's clouded by all these implanted values from parents, teachers, authority figures, you know, other kids at school. And so a lot of people end up off their own path. Like I would say that 99% of people who come to my events, my seminars or hire me for coaching in some way, they have these implanted values that make them feel guilty, that make them feel ashamed. They say, I really want to do this, but, right. and, and it's all these clouded voices inside their head. And so they really don't know who they are and what they're here to do. <clears throat> so I believe that one of the key things that all people need to do is create a success map for their own life and get absolute clarity on things that fulfill them, which come from your values, your purpose, and your unique lifestyle balance. Then you need to have a clear vision or clear visions, a clear mission, and then effective goal setting. And then from there, you can you, you can fine tune, um, depending on the performance principles you have or the psychology tools you have, then you can tune your mind to stay on that path. Most people live life without a map, so they just sort of wander and they're trying to figure out what makes them feel good. Again, they can become impulsive because they go, I feel good doing this, but it's destructive to their goals or their mission. Then they feel bad. So then they beat themselves up and they feel like they're not where they're supposed to be. And so it just creates all these crazy mindset um, patterns or these emotional patterns that most people have. So I really think that most people just need to build that clarity first individually. Now for business, it's exactly the same. But if you don't have clarity on where you're going, and, and I think this is a problem with small business owners, is that first they're trying to find product to market fit or they're good at their trade or whatever they do. And so they just get out there and they start doing things. And then they start hiring staff because the business takes off. They start making more money and they go, wow, there's all this chaos. I've got to, you know, I, I need people. So then they hire all these people and let's say they have a million dollars in revenue. They, they now have a million dollars coming in, but now they're just pushing it all back out into staff wages, thinking that the business is going to keep growing. But the clarity is in their head, not in staff's head. Then the majority of business owners who come to our events and stuff, they'll say things like, Oh, staff are useless. They just don't get it. Like I've got to tell them a million times and, and they're so frustrated, but they don't realize that the clarity is in their head, not in everybody else's head. And the other thing is that most business owners actually don't have clarity, even though they think they do. And so even their own head is chaos and then it just amplifies out. So that's where you get all the stress and the frustration and the, you know, all of those things. Yeah. And your team is a direct reflection of yourself, right? Yeah. So as people are going through that, right, and making their their map of what you mentioned, what would you tell them to get that clarity? Like if they feel like I don't know what's getting in my way, I don't know those things that I'm pulling along with me from my past, you know, how do I break through that to actually get that true clarity? Is it talking to somebody or like, what would you tell them for that? Yeah, um, another great question. Uh, so 
um, Epictetus, who uh, is a famous philosopher, said that you have to know, first of all, what you can control, what is outside of your control. And then the third thing is you have to know the difference between those two things. And I think that most people live in a gray zone of what they can control and what they can't control. We know that we can't control other people logically, but then throughout the day, people get frustrated that people don't do what they want. But the thing that they can control is themselves and their own thoughts, their own emotional states, the way that they respond to things. You know, we can control our diet. We can control the time we wake up, the time we go to bed and and the principles in which we live by. And so to get that clarity, we first of all have to sort of semi-eliminate the things that we can't control, which is a sort of a roundabout way of saying before you build your success map, you have to clarify what you can control and what you can't. A lot of people say, well, I want my parents to be proud of me. Well, you can't control that. Whether they're proud or not proud or happy or unhappy, you can't control that. So immediately they've crossed over trying to control something that they can't control, which is going to make them miserable. And so a lot of people say, well, you know, I I want people to like me or, you know, a lot of business owners are afraid of judgment or criticism. Same as in sales, right? Like I want someone to like me. But the thing is, I can't control that. I can just do the best that I can. And some people like me, some people don't like me. It all all depends. There's, There's so many variables. So we have to start clearing out those thoughts and ideas before we try to get clear. Then from there, the first thing that we need to do is understand that all humans are driven by um, a, a set of values or a value structure or a values hierarchy. Um, and it's something, it's a field of study called axiology. Now, when most people talk about values, they think about kindness and respect and these sort of moral virtues, but that's not really what they are. What our values are, are the things that we value uniquely to ourselves. And so they're our priority order within our lives. So some people have their number one priority in life is family and they will give up everything, work, career, business for family. And so if you look at a stay-at-home parent, their their highest value is probably family because they're giving up their career, they're giving up money, they're giving up everything to support that family. Whereas other people say, well, family is my highest value. But when you look at their life and what their life demonstrates, they're working 80 hours a week in a business. That tells you that really their priority is business. But because of moral virtues, people, and, and these are those implanted values, people think, well, Family should be my highest value, but it's actually not. So my highest value is teaching, learning, coaching. I give up everything in order to do that. I can do other things outside of that, but if if that value isn't met for a period of time, I start to feel down, depressed, flat, tired, burnt out. My energy levels drop because I'm not filling the cup that that makes me the most abundant and and vibrant in life. So we have to identify our own unique value set. And, and normally the top three values are the most important because that's 90%, 95, 99% of your life. The way to do that, the most simple way is to look at what your life demonstrates. So it's not what you think it should be. It's what actually your life demonstrates. So I've tried all these different values tests that are on the market and, and everything. And most people, their idea of what the questions are asking when you fill them out normally comes back really incorrect. So if if so if you are someone who's, uh, let's say, overweight and they feel bad about their body and you say, well, what do you spend most of your time thinking about? Now, if they're sick and, and unhealthy, they might say health, but their life doesn't demonstrate health. So therefore, even though they think about it a lot and they think that it's important, it's actually not. So it can become really confusing. What I like to do is just say, what does your life demonstrate for a two to five year period? Let's look at it. 
if you spend the majority of your time working, then work or career or something like that is probably your highest value. Now, you might have family and kids, but if you prioritize work over kids on average over that one to two year period, then we know that career is probably a higher fulfilling task for you. Then family's up there somewhere, um, but it's just not the most important thing. Once we have that clarity, then you can start to figure out what your life purpose is, which is your why. Why are you here? So for me, I, I, I thought I loved helping people, but I don't really enjoy helping people. I enjoy helping people perform better. So I don't like it when people come to me and they're like, oh, my life sucks and everything's hard. And then I give them advice and tips and try to help them. What I found was early on in my career, I tried to save everybody. And I would feel so bad at the end of the day when I would see people being self-destructive and they didn't care about growth. I would go, why don't they get it? But it's because my, my real purpose in life is to help people perform better. And so if someone doesn't want to perform better, I'm not here to help them. That's somebody else's job. They can do that. I love working with driven people. I think driven people are inspirational. I think they inspire others. You know, when I always say this in my events, like as a kid, when I saw somebody driving a Ferrari, that would excite me. I'd be like, wow, that's cool. Or when, you know, when someone has a great body, I would be like, wow, look at them. Like they're almost carved out of stone. And so I think that our society, especially in Australia, we have the tall poppy syndrome where if you do really well, people like to cut you down. I think that's quite common around the world, but I think that that's not a great way of living, especially living in a, in a virtuous way, because people who, who are doing well normally inspire us to do better, but it's normally because people get in their emotional states and then they start feeling bad about themselves and beat themselves up. And so they lower their own self-worth. The only way that most people can handle someone who's doing better than them around them is to try and pull them back down. But when we look at our purpose, our purpose is a short, concise statement about why we exist on this earth. And it's something that we think about all the time. It's something that we do, and it's something that's fulfilling to us. So that's our why. That's our purpose. Then from there, to get that fulfillment pillar, so there's two key pillars. It's fulfillment and direction. The third pillar is, uh, sorry, the, the third thing in the first pillar is your life balance. Now, your life balance is directly related to your values and your purpose. So I get told I work too much all the time by people, but I don't work too much. I work too much for their lifestyle. For me, it's completely fine. Like I know how much I need to work in order to feel fulfilled. I also love exercising and train a lot. So I know that I need to move for two hours a day on average. For most people, that would kill them. But for me, that's, that's what makes me fulfilled and that's my balance. But that's not somebody else's balance. They might need to spend two to three hours a day with their family. If I spent two to three hours per day with my family, we would all kill each other. <laughs> so we need to understand what our unique lifestyle balance looks like and then and craft that around our life. The challenge with lifestyle balance is that most people, because they're emotionally driven, they want to try to avoid things that they perceive are painful or challenging, but it's the pain and the challenge that helps us to grow and expand in life. And that's the thing that provides our fulfillment. So we need to take on challenges that push us and force our growth that we overcome because that's where we're going to get our fulfillment from, not avoid them. But we have to know the things that we love. And then the final, uh, the, the second pillar, and sorry, I'm taking so long. No, um, I love this. Go for it. The second pillar is your direction. It's one thing to be fulfilled. And there are people out there who live a fulfilling life, but they have no direction. They just float around. After a while, that becomes destructive. Then there are people who know their direction, but are unfulfilled. And so they work really hard, but they actually don't know why they're doing it. And, and they feel 
you, they don't feel that vibrance of, of life. So the second pillar is your visions. These are visions that keep reappearing in your mind. Now, most people think that, that from what I've seen, most people think that they have the same visions. Like people go, well, I want to be rich, but not everybody wants to be rich. Or they'll say things like, um, and I use this as an, as an example, I've never thought about going to space. That's never been one of my visions. But Elon Musk thinks about it all the time. So therefore, he has different visions that appear in his mind. For me, since I was 21, I thought about speaking on global stages, about you know helping people. So that has been a vision of mine. So when we document and record those visions in a vision log, over time, they become part of your goals that then allow you to keep working towards your mission. So we need to log our visions. Then from there, we, we, we'll probably have a, a mission, which is a, a, a common objective that we're aiming for in the future. So my mission in life is to help build businesses that help people perform better. So I love business. I love people. So I just want to build businesses that help people perform better in life and business. Um, so that's my mission. It's a short, concise mission statement, which also attaches onto your purpose. So they're sort of similar but different. That gives me a direction that I'm heading in life. So when we have our visions documented, our mission, then we can set effective goals because our goals are just stop-off points on the journey to our mission. If you do those things well, then the only thing that you've got to do is really look after your mind and your body and the rest of it takes care of itself. And that's that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother section there. I could talk for days on that. <laughs> okay. Hey, real quick, it's Julie. I just wanted to say thank you for listening every week. I absolutely adore you and so appreciate your time and your commitment to the show. And I truly love creating free content for you to grow your podcast and your business. And if you want to take our relationship to the next level, I know I would, or you just want to monetize your podcast without ads or sponsorship, hop into my free web class that'll show exactly how. Just go to sevenfigurepodcastbuilder.com slash monetize, and I will see you there. Now back to the conversation. I love it. I love it. And this is very helpful. What have you seen when people go from being out of alignment to when these things are truly aligned? Like how does that impact people's lives? Yeah. Um, I think there there's no such thing as really being in alignment because we're sort of, it's almost, I, I describe this as driving down a highway. Even when you drive down the highway, you're still micro adjusting the wheel all the time. A straight line in a car is never dead straight. You're always micro adjusting. So I think when people are more aligned, we micro adjust on a daily basis, or we might micro adjust multiple times throughout the day. Um, whereas when someone's really out of alignment, they're the sort of people that are driving down the highway and they turn the steering wheel really hard in one direction and then the car flips and crashes. And so people who do that, they start getting momentum and the next second they change everything really, really quickly and turn in a different direction and everything just blows itself to bits. Now, that's okay if you're going at low speed. I very rarely work with people who are at low speed. <laughs> the majority of the people that I work with are normally driven, enthusiastic. They want to get somewhere in life. They feel guilty if they rest too much because they there's something inside of them that's like, we want to achieve things. Let's go. Let's go. We've got to do stuff. So they they like that momentum. But some of the things that they do that throw them out of alignment is they'll feel guilty resting. Uh, or they they start to rest and then their mind kicks in that just fires up and then they think that they're resting, but their mind's going crazy. So that's driven people. 
I don't think the majority of society are like that. I, I meet a lot of people who just they're like, I love relaxing. I can sit there for days and just sit there with a fishing rod and do nothing. A lot of the people that I work with are business owners, athletes, people who have big goals and big dreams. So they need to learn how to switch off a little bit. They need to learn how to relax a little bit and not feel guilty and ashamed of resting. But at the same time, they also have that drive and ambition where they need the clarity to keep moving forward. So what I see is some of the biggest problems that um, that throw them off track is those implanted values and trying to people please. But that's normally a communication problem. So we have a lot of business owners who come through our events and they'll say things like, um, my husband or my wife tells me that I work too much. But at the same time, they want all this money that I'm making and they want the lifestyle and they want to put our kids through a college and and they they love the fact that I make all this money. But at the same time, they don't want me to work as much and that's causing conflict in the relationship. They just don't know how to explain and understand each other's values effectively. So if it's a husband, wife, which th this is a common pattern, it's more males seem to have this pattern more than than women, but women, I, I, we get a lot of driven women to our events as well who have the same with their opposite partner. But if the man is driven by money and finance and or, or business, and then the partner is more of a family, high, high family values, they actually both have the lifestyle that they want because they both want a family and they both want to live an abundant life. It's just their values order is in different priorities. So they're similar, but different. And so the lack of communication, they can't explain why they want that from their partner and what they get out of it. And so that there's a misalignment in communication. And so what they do is they both sort of subordinate to each other for a while until they build up all this resentment. And then it just blows itself to bits in a heated argument. And then all the frustrations and resentments come out. And then after, after that happens, then they start to rebuild again. They sort of try to figure out how they can mesh it together. I don't think that that's an effective strategy. I don't think anyone in an intimate relationship or in a family environment should give up their values. They just need to explain it in a format where the other person goes, I get the best person in our relationship when they do these things versus I get the best in my relationship because the person's doing this for me. When you do that, though, that's not really relationships. That, that's two individuals trying to figure out how they can get what they want. So it's always a negotiation. You know, I know for my wife, she she loves um, creative writing and um, she's writing a screenplay. And so I know she starts to get a little bit. Uh, and by the way, she runs our company. So she's sort of head of operations CEO. She will work extremely hard. But after a while, she starts getting narky. And, and I say narky is like where she just starts to pick on small things. Mm -hmm. And straight away, I know she needs to go do creative writing. Not because I need her to. I want the company to grow. But what I know is I don't get the best wife when she doesn't do the things that are important to her. Now, I would rather have an amazing wife and not not make more millions of dollars <laughs> than have someone that that resents me and goes, I'm doing all this stuff for you and I'm suffering. So it's just a communication problem. I think that's probably the number one problem that most people struggle with in their family dynamics and even in their careers. You know, in business, communication is probably one of the biggest challenges. You know, you mentioned sales before. I have this every day where I sit there and I go, I can help this person. And then I have to try to logically communicate in their value system, in their value structure. And then they've got a whole bunch of emotional stuff that's going on that's sort of getting in the way of what they want as well. And they've got fears and worries and concerns. And so then I've got to try to communicate in a way where I can sell them the product or the service that's going to help them, but in a way where they feel like it's important to them versus me just saying, you need this product and service and I know it'll help you. 
but then they get afraid and then don't buy. So yeah, I hope that makes sense. No, it totally does. And the thought I had, and you mentioned it actually a couple of times, but when we're looking at our own values um, and you mentioned about, you know, family being your top value, but then you're working 80 hours a week or something crazy like that. I think we also need to look at what does that mean for us when families are highest value? Because to us, it may be like working that hard, you're providing for that family, right? So there may be a disconnect there also of like, what is, you know, actually how you're trying to feed that or what does that mean to you based off of your past and your history, right? And the family growing up. And like, there's so many layers to it when you start peeling that onion of what does this actually mean to you? But I think it's so powerful when you get things, you get that clarity that you're looking for, right? That then it's, okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. And this is what we're ultimately trying to accomplish. And now I can actually communicate that to other people. That's a beautiful point. Can I go off on a tangent just a little bit there? Please. That's right. So um, if you if you go back to Maslow's hierarchy, there's mm-hmm. down the bottom, you've got survival needs and then you've got mm-hmm. self-actualization. So when most people do their values, they they know what fulfills them. So if I work with someone who's got a high value of business or wealth or career, their actual value is business, wealth, and career. And it might be over the top of family, but what will happen is that they're, they're trying to analyze it through survival needs versus self-actualization. And mm-hmm. so self-actualization is saying, if everything was great, my family are great, life's great, everything's great, I would love running a business. So they're moving towards self-actualization. But normally what will happen is when someone analyzes it in their own brain, they'll go, well, I do love business, but I would, if my kids were sick, I would give up the business for my kids every day or any day of the week. So they actually drop back down then into a survival response or worst case scenario versus what actually makes me thrive. And part of the reason why people get stuck with their values is because they find it hard to get out of a survival response and move towards that self-actualization. You know, I love my family and I'm actually really close with all of my family. I've got a quite a big family. Um, I'm, I'm really close with them, but I don't see them a lot. Like I might see my parents maybe once a month and I can spend probably about three hours and I feel really fulfilled. I'm hyper present with them. I'm not thinking about work, not thinking about business, but many years ago, they used to have Sunday lunches. And so every Sunday I'd be at their house having lunch, but I would notice that I was there thinking about business and work and what was going on. And everyone would say to me, is everything okay? You seem stressed or you seem like you're not present. And so I would get all this feedback and people, people there felt like there was something going on with me. And then they would feel bad about me because they thought that there was something bad going on in life. But it was just that my brain was telling me I would rather be working, which is why I'm thinking about work than I am being present with my family. So when you align your values, you actually are really present with people. I don't, like I personally don't meditate. Um, I might maybe once a month or something, but I don't meditate because I am actually present 99% of my life because I just set it up in a way where I don't need to sort of be thinking about everything else that's going on. So yeah, I thought the self-actualization piece is important because most people, you know, like if you ask most people is health important and they'll say yes, but they don't prioritize it that's because it's not a high value. But if they're really sick, then it becomes a high value just because they're in that, that really fast. <laughs> yeah. And just because they're in that, that survival response again. So I, I hope that makes sense. It does a hundred percent. And I think, I think when you have that distance, right, it's easier to have more to talk about. Focus <laughs> on people. Like if you're talking to your extended family every day, you kind of run out of things to talk about. So it's easier to be present and really focused and enjoy that time together when you know you have a little bit of distance there at least you know things that i've learned yeah 
the other thing that I heard you saying was um, just in the whole, you know, human behavior aspect, but I heard a lot of active listening, right? Like as you're talking to people and trying to navigate what, what their, what are their fears? What are their values? And, you know, as you're working with other people, but what are your tips for people of like how to really focus in on those conversations and be able to decipher what might be the fears behind what it is that they're saying? Yeah. Um, so when, when I'm working with people, when, when I'm communicating, I don't know why my brain is wired this way, but I tend to see it through value structures and then mental and emotional imbalances. So if you listen to languaging, languaging will normally tell you where people are mentally and emotionally. And so it just becomes really important to listen effectively. So if someone says, you know, I, I just want my kids to go to a good school and to have a good education, you already know that family and, and children are a value, probably in their top three or four. Then you also know um, in there, they've spoken about education. So I know that there's they've got a high value of education in there, and then they've also got a high value of family. The challenge with value structures is that most people project their values and think that everyone's the same. You know, like I have people who come to my events and they say, yeah, but every everyone needs to make money. I go, no, they don't. That's why there's a whole bunch of people all around the world who just don't work. They literally wake up today and their number one priority might be drugs. Their number one priority might be to just watch television. They might be gaming. They they don't care about money. But it's just that a lot of people project that onto others. You know, people with high value on health say, yeah, but everyone needs to look after their health. Maybe, but there's probably half of the world that don't. So we've got to be careful, especially in sales or leadership, not to project our values onto others. It's important to just listen through an unfiltered mind. Um, so this parent is saying that their children are high value and then education is a high value. So when you're communicating with them, if you can communicate through their values, they will understand you more. Because if I'm working with somebody, like I actually have a staff member who has a high value on family and social connection. So she's our um, customer success person. Now, she's amazing because she just talks to people all day. She just loves talking to people and she just loves finding out how they're going, how we can help them. You know, she's phenomenal. Um, the biggest challenge I have with her is making sure that, you know, a phone call, a 10-minute phone call doesn't blow out to three hours because she'll just sit there and talk about anything. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but that's because of her value structure. So the first thing that we want to do is, especially when you're in communication, if you're in a leadership role or in a sales role, or even if you're marketing, is understanding the values of the people that you're talking to. Then the next thing is listening for mental and emotional imbalances. Now, an imbalance is anything that's either a positive or a negative. Like I'm not a positive thinking guy. I don't believe in it. I don't think it's effective. And, and there's no conclusive evidence that having a positive mind leads to positive results. Now, does that mean that if, if we think in a more empowered way that that could help? Yeah, it does. Because that's why we have a mission and a vision because we believe that the future can be better than the past. But we've all met people who are positive and optimistic who don't get anywhere and don't achieve anything because they see the best of everything and they think that everything's going to be easier than what it is. And, and that doesn't work out. So an intelligent person sits there and goes, right, I believe the future can be better. I believe we can do all these great things. But at the same time, there are going to be obstacles, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be a whole bunch of stresses, things that we need to learn. So I think optimism and pessimism need to be balanced out in the planning process and in, in, in our daily processes, because if not, we can become hyperactive and then eventually we burn out. Or we can become over-optimistic and then all of a sudden everything falls apart and then we become pessimistic and beat ourselves up. So it's sort of like 
we, we, we need to have this sort of balancing act within our own psychology. But when we're talking to others, if I listen to people and they say, you know, I'm just really excited to start my business and I just can't wait to get it started. And I'm like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> like, they're, they're, you know, they don't realize that the, the tsunami is coming and it's, they're just going to get smashed. Um, you probably see this as well where, you know, some, some people are like, I want to start a business so I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. And I go, Oh, you okay. Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I meet, you know, people who work for somebody else and they go, I, I don't know why I work for them. They chart their charge rate is $150 an hour and they only pay me 40. And I go, Yeah. And they go, Well, they're making all this extra money. And I go, No. Um, hacks. <laughs> In Australia, we have superannuation, which in the US is like a 401k. Mm -hmm. So it's like our retirement fund, insurances. And I start going through it with them. And I'm like, out of that, they made $2. <laughs> they made $2 an hour off of you, my friend. Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. It doesn't. So the mental and emotional balances are important because if someone's excited, they're probably going to take, they're, they're going to over-exaggerate their action. Mm -hmm. Whereas if someone is a bit down and depressed, they're going to under-exaggerate under their actions. So I'm sort of listening to that in the process, you know, and, and I'm trying to work through them with that, especially in sales. You know, what we want to do is in the sales process is find out what problems people have, what, the, what are the challenges, how long they've had them for. And question asking, I think, is probably one of the greatest, most underutilized tools on the planet in communication, right? I have, I, I teach a lot of, um, my my crew, I've got a a process for great communication, and it's a real simple one, and it is ask questions, shut the f up, <laughs> done, <laughs> and, yeah. and and I repeat it over and over and over again because I think most people in the sales process over communicate, whereas what we want to do is we want to ask questions and then let them talk, and then ask more questions and let them talk, and the question asking process should lead them to the solution of the product or the service. Whereas when a person's trying to sell their product and the service, they're so hyperactive and they love it and they're trying to sell it. And, and sometimes a customer walks away and goes, it sounds great, but there's all these things that I'm feeling that I don't know how I feel about it. And so they'll just, they sort of put, put the brakes on a bit. Um, yeah. So they're, they're the two things I really listen to is values, what's important. And then secondly, the mental and emotional imbalances, because I think that it's our job in leadership, in management, in sales, in marketing, is to use those emotional levers and also value structures in order to move people in the right direction. Like I personally don't want people in my events who aren't really growth driven because I know they're going to come, they're going to learn something, they're not going to execute, they're not going to implement. And then eventually they're going to blame me because they're going to say, well, I spent all this money and I didn't get results. It's not that they didn't get results because we have thousands of people who do. It's just that the value structure is out of alignment. And if they're doing something because they're in an emotional state and they're just desperate, Desperation breeds desperation. So I don't want desperation. I want people who want to come to me because they want to grow. They want to learn. They want to evolve. They want to grow their business or have a better life or improve themselves. Or, you know, I, I love the fact that we have a, a massive community of people who are driven to personally be better, you know, and want to develop. I love that. And it's funny. It makes me think back. I I actually started my career. I didn't mention this to you as a registered nurse. And okay. one of the things I hated the most about nursing school was a class called therapeutic communication. And I hated it for so many reasons, including the instructor and other things, but it's one of those things that I shifted from nursing over to technology, over to, you know, helping fortune 500s and consulting and all sorts of stuff. But 
it's one of those things that has carried through for every single day for the rest of my life is just learning how to communicate with people and read people and, you know, just the whole human psychology thing that we've been talking about. But it's it's so powerful no matter where you are. It touches every single aspect of your life. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I'm curious, you've accomplished a ton of things, both personally, professionally, everything. <laughs> but how do you define success? What does that look like for you? It's a, it's a great question. I get asked that a lot, actually. Um, it's a real hard one to define, but it's it, it sort of is, but it isn't. And I think for me, it's being able to live your values. Because if you can live your values in the way that you want to live them, then I think that you're successful. So I, I get really inspired by seeing other people live their values. And and I mean, last night I was watching um, uh, one of the awards. Uh, it was just little snippets of the award show. Mm -hmm. And I love watching musicians play and moving an audience. Even now it gives me tingles. <laughs> so um, I, I love that because I, I, I can see that it changes the way that people feel about their life. They can be having a bad day. and, and they. So for me, like I get emotional watching that. I start getting, you know, a tear or two. Um, so to me, that's inspiring. My sister is an amazing mother. And when I watch her around her, her kids, which are, you know, my niece and nephew, she's just amazing in the way that she communicates with them. Like, she's never, ever done any personal development or anything. But when it comes to her kids, the way that she operates is phenomenal. And, wow. and to me, that's super inspiring. And I think she's an amazing, successful person. So I tend to think that success comes through a person's values, not so much their finances or probably because I've worked with a lot of people who have amazing finances and have achieved everything and still want to kill themselves. So. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That, uh, and to your point, money isn't everything, right? Like it, it can make things feel easier, but you can be so miserable with it as well. So I you know I love that. I think and, it's an amplifier. Money, money amplifies. I just, you know, I think if, if you have bad habits, without money you'll have worse habits with money you know if if you have relationship problems without money they're only going to get worse with money and so i think it just amplifies everything yeah yeah which goes back to the root the root uh discovery that we were talking about earlier and how important it is no matter where you are in the stage of the game right yeah so i'm curious if you had the attention of the whole world for five minutes what would you tell them the same thing that i think philosophers have been telling us for thousands of years and that is know thyself, be thyself. And then I would add in the last part, and that is enjoy thyself. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So simple and so powerful at the same time. Well, thank you, Michael, for being on today. This was amazing. Where can people find you online? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, um, my website's michaelmojo.com. Um, if you just uh, look up Michael Mojo or type it into any search bar on any of the social media platforms. You'll come across uh, my social media profiles as well. Um, you know, if people have any questions, especially Instagram is probably at the moment the best way to find me um, and talk to me directly. Um, but yeah, um, just search. <laughs> Google is probably the best place. But um, yeah, the website as well, michaelmojo.com. Awesome. And we'll have all the links down below in the show notes. People can check them out. And thank you for being on today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me and great questions as well. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. And if you found value in this episode, please do share it. That's how people find us. And you can find me at sevenfigurebuilder.com and I'll see you on the next episode. You've been
listening to the Seven Figure Builder Show with Julie Baranek. Julie cut her teeth consulting for Fortune 500 companies worldwide. And now she's redirected that knowledge and power to support entrepreneurs like you. She focuses on relationship-based lead generation and the magic of podcasting. If you're looking to elevate your business through storytelling, branding, and efficient systems, well, you found your new home. It's what we do. If you enjoyed the show and got something from it, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, find us on Instagram at 7 Figure Builder. Find the website at 7figurebuilder.com. And to learn how to automate your podcast with Julie, find that site at 7figurepodcastbuilder.com. See you next time on the 7 Figure Builder Show.